to worship the Lord together. resurrected life and that life that you give us. Lord, we just give you so much praise and glory and honor and thanks today, Lord, because of that great gift of salvation. Lord, if there's somebody within the sound of my voice that has not uh, yet received that gift of salvation, may today be their day of salvation, Lord. We pray for the rest of us that know you, uh, Lord, that we would just offer our all. One song we'll be singing shortly that reminds us that we are to surrender our very all. Lord, help us to do that today. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
You may be seated. And uh, so this white card, this uh, connection card in the pew back in front of you is there for you to fill out, especially if you're here maybe for the first or second time. We certainly want to know you're attending with us. And if you have any questions about the church, you could ask on the on the back, okay? And we'll be faithful to follow up on that. For the rest of us, if you uh, have a prayer request or anything uh, you want us to know, please let us know that, and, and we'll be faithful to pray over that. So please put those in the uh, offering plate at the end of the service as you as you leave, all right? Well, we're going to continue the service with um, some great old hymns that teach us just some awesome doctrine. This one hymn reminds us that our salvation is not uh, of our own accord. It's, a, it's, it's, it's brought to us solely from the Lord Himself. And then there's another song, a great hymn, that reminds us that uh, God's love is so vast. Look at the word picture it paints, and, and I think you'll understand. It's such beautiful text we're about to sing. Let's sing together.
we know that that vast love of God that we just sang about, that we see it most clearly at the cross. Amen.
just a moment. Our next song, Christ, Our Hope in Life and Death, uh, came from um, this uh, catechism written back in 1563, the Heidelberg Catechism. The very first phrase really is the first phrase of the catechism. What is our, they say, comfort in life and death? This song says, what is our hope in life and death? And so a catechism gives you a question leading to a biblical answer. It's interesting that this one, written in the mid-16th century, came about 46 years after the Reformation. So after hundreds of years of bad doctrine, bad theology, uh, somebody came along and said, wouldn't it be great if we had a teaching tool to get people back to Scripture, right? And, and so I pray that this song, as it asks questions and it gives biblical answers, will point you back to the true Word of God, the Scripture. Let's sing it together. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone. What is our only confidence? That our souls to Him belong. Who holds our days within His hand? What comes apart from His command? will keep us to the end, the love of Christ in which we stand. Oh, sing hallelujah, our hope springs eternal. Oh, sing hallelujah, now and ever we confess.
Once more, just a cappella singing that. That is a prayer. Oh, sing hallelujah. Our hope springs eternal. Oh, sing hallelujah. Now and ever we confess Christ our hope in life and Well, hallelujah. What a wonderful song. Now and forever, Christ alone, our hope in life and death. He is our only hope in life and death. Have you ever swam in a pool and you had goggles on and you come up and they're just fogged? And just, I've done this numerous times and I, especially growing up, we had a swim pool and I'd come up on the side of the pool and Maybe I was under the water and someone walks up and I come up out of the water and, and it's foggy and I look. I know someone is there, but recognition would be a hard thing. Maybe you recognize their feet or something. But you know that someone is there. You just have a hard time recognizing the person. Well, I think that has a lot to do with the way people view the Holy Spirit of God in our day. Smudgy. We know he's there. But we don't know much about his person or his work. Well, in our text last week, we were directly introduced to the third person of the divine trinity. The Holy Spirit of God. Remember the doxology? Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Now, what is fascinating is that Paul lifts, lifts up the Holy Spirit of God as belonging... To the list of the blessings and benefits and privileges of the fact that God has saved you. So the Holy Spirit of God is given to us as one of the blessings. As one of the privileges. As one of the benefits of being a child of God. So it is the Holy Spirit of God that seals us with the Holy Spirit of promise. And he guarantees our inheritance. Last week I had every intention to preach one sermon... On verses 11 through 14. You guys know how that worked out. Right? Because what filled my mind was having heard and having believed the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation. That's important stuff. Well, again, this week I said, well, it's going to be a breeze to preach the next three points in our outline. Not so. So today, the goal is to unpack that second division in your outline, the promised Holy Spirit of God. So, it is clear from this passage that what Paul places his emphasis upon in regard to the Spirit's work is twofold. There's this sealing, right? The seal of the Holy Spirit, the mark that the Lord God has put on you in the Holy Spirit. 
And then this word guarantee, which is translated pledge or deposit of the guarantee of our inheritance. To know that we've been marked by God and that we are given a pledge to guarantee our inheritance is an awesome thing. Don't you all want to know what that is? You'll find out if you come back next week, right? You've got to bait the hook, right? You've got to put it out there. But this week, we want to do a Bible study on the promised Holy Spirit. Verse 13 of our text. In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him. In other words, here's the way it works. Having heard, verb tense, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. There's that second work. Until we acquire possession of it. And all of this, in verses 3 through 14, is to the praise of His glorious grace and to His glory. Let's focus our attention on that phrase, promised Holy Spirit. And the division is this. The Holy Spirit of God was promised in the Old Testament. And so the title is significant. It's important. And the text reads like this, In him also having heard and having believed, you were sealed by the promised Holy Spirit. My contention is it's impossible for us to understand the magnitude of that phrase, which is theologically loaded, unless we go back to the Old Testament and find out where it came from. What was the need for it? Why did God mention his Holy Spirit? Now, there's often this question raised. Was the Holy Spirit of God operative in the Old Testament? Now, in your Sunday school class, if you're a Sunday school member, you know full well that this has come up and people have attempted to explain it, uh, some good, some bad. But the fact of the matter is, we know full well that the Holy Spirit of God was operative in the Old Testament. Some people just think he was waiting in the wings, hiding until the day of Pentecost. That's not so. Why? Because our God is omnipresent, omnipotent. And all three persons of the Godhead have always been present. And so here the Holy Spirit we know in the Bible is working. Sometimes he was very upfront and very noticeable. You mean an example of that? The creation narrative. Who was it that was hovering over the waters? It was the Holy Spirit of God. He was upfront and very personal when it comes to the Exodus. However, most of the time he was behind the scenes sovereignly administrating the work of Almighty God. Sinclair Ferguson has written a remarkable book on the Holy Spirit several years ago, and here's what he says. The Spirit had been active among God's people, but His activity was enigmatic, sporadic, theocratic, and selective, and in some respects, external. That's a marvelous statement. That really grasped the magnitude of the Old Testament. So he was active, okay? Yet, When you study the Old Testament theologically, you'll come away from it knowing full well that the true people of God longed for a more comprehensive understanding and partaking understanding personally of the Holy Spirit. So, are you guys ready? Do you have your fingers wired and ready to turn in the Word of God? I said in the earlier service, if you learn nothing else at FBCO, you ought to learn that we preach the Bible. So when you come, bring the Word. Okay, bring the Bible so you can learn what the Scripture says. We're going to go all the way back to Numbers chapter 11 to, to kind of put together a theology of, of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, okay, that builds us toward 
the sermon, of course, in Ephesians 1, and then the implications of the sermon I'll give you at the end to apply them to your life. Chapter 11, in the book of Numbers, verse 26. Now, two men remained in the camp. I would not encourage you to name your kids these names. One named Eldad and the other named Medad. And the Spirit, check this out, rested on them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent. And so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord Moses, stop them. All right, check this out. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets or would prophesy, and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. This is astounding, is it not? Especially if you remember that there's only one prophet of God in the Bible that's identified as one who spoke face to face to God. This actually the translation is mouth to mouth with God. So you consider that for a moment, who Moses was and his role. And Aaron says, well, he's jealous, is he not? For Moses and Moses' task. Shut these people up. They're not supposed to be speaking. But Moses says, I wish that all, not yet, right? They didn't at that time, spoke as a prophet. And I wish, not yet, right, that all the people of God had the Spirit. So here is a longing of a man of God who spoke face to face with God that people would have the Spirit of God upon them. Okay, Isaiah. We're going to be there a lot. Isaiah chapter 32. Beginning in verse 14. Isaiah is going to be given a picture of the already, how bad things look. But also the not yet, what God will do in the future. Verse 14, for the palace is forsaken, the populous city deserted. The hill and the watchtower will become dens forever. A joy of wild donkeys, a pasture of flocks, until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high. And the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is deemed a forest. Then justice will dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness will abide in the fruitful field, and the effect of righteousness will be peace, and the result of righteousness, quietness, and trust forever. The picture in Isaiah's day is desolation and ruin. However, God is up to something, and God will do something. God will pour out His Spirit from on high. And once He does this, there's a recreative and powerful act of Almighty God that brings God brings upon the people of God. And what is Isaiah doing? He's longing. Again, remember what I said. Clearly in the Old Testament, the people of God are longing for a more comprehensive partaking of and understanding of the Holy Spirit of God. Isaiah 44, 3. Just turn right. Isaiah 44, 3. The Bible says, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Clearly in Isaiah 44, it is a new covenant promise. Water is an image of what? 
the Holy Spirit of God, and God says, I will pour out my spirit. Ezekiel. Chapter 36. Is everybody engaged in our Bible study? Ezekiel 36, verse 26. The next two references, I think, should certainly be ones that you know of. Isaiah 36, verse 26. And I will give you a new heart, and I, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Pretty amazing, right? It's the work of the spirit. And finally, Joel chapter 2. I don't hear the pages turning because you've given up. You, don't, you know you can't find Joel and you don't want the person beside you to feel that you don't know the scripture. <laughs> We know how this works. It follows Hosea and is before Amos. <laughs> that helps you any. In the Minor Prophets. That's only about three pages you got there to look through. All right, verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. So we have this developing Old Testament theology. And the Old Testament, and in the Old Testament, certainly the Spirit of God was operative in the lives of the people of God. But there's a clear sense in the Old Testament that God was going to do something new. God was going to do something greater. He was going to give something experientially that was greater than anything he had ever done before regarding the Spirit of God. So there would come a time, as it says in the Bible, that God would pour out his Spirit on everyone that belonged to the covenant community of God. That's a wonderful, wonderful thing. So in the Old Testament, to borrow from Sinclair Ferguson, certainly the Spirit's work was selective. But when he pours out his Spirit, everybody in the covenant community will be partakers of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, let me give you one more hidden, not necessarily hidden, but a gem. Something that is an awesome, awesome treasure. There was going to come one, the Messiah, who was called the Anointed One. And here will come someone where the Spirit of God rests upon him in absolute fullness. In other words, he's going to be the quint, essential Man that is full of the Holy Spirit of God. Y'all read your Bible? Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah 11, verses 1 and 2. And stay there in Isaiah, okay? Isaiah 11, verse 1 and 2. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. He's going to tell you what it looks like. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might. The Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Wow. The Spirit of God will rest upon him. Fullness. It is in the idea of spirit of wisdom, counsel, might, fear, knowledge. 
In other words, this man, this anointed one, will be marked with the fullness of the Holy Spirit of God. Acts, excuse me, we're going to get there. Isaiah 42.1. Direct reference to the Lord's chosen servant. Isaiah 42, verse 1. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. Boy, we could stand that, can't we? He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and faintly burning wick. Text goes on, but for our purposes, the Bible teaches that the fullness of the spirit will be upon him. Isaiah 48. 15, I, even I, have spoken and called him. I have brought him, and he will prosper in my way, in his way. Draw near to me, hear this. From the beginning, I have not spoken in secret. From the time it came to be, I have been there. And now the Lord God has sent me and his spirit. And again, one that you ought to be very familiar with, Isaiah 61. This will be repeated by the Lord Jesus Christ himself in Luke chapter 4 when he takes the scroll from the attendant in the synagogue. And here's what it says, Isaiah 61.1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and to the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness, and the list goes on from those benefits. Who quotes this text? The Lord Jesus Christ. And so here in the Old Covenant, there's this longing For a more comprehensive work of the Holy Spirit of God. And as the theology of the Old Testament develops. We see that the Messiah. The anointed one. Is a man full of the Holy Spirit of God. Who possesses the Spirit of God like no one ever before. It's the Son of God. And in the future. He one day. The Messiah. Would come in the fullness of the Spirit. And not only that. The promised Holy Spirit of God. Would come with him. And it is the Lord Jesus Christ himself that not only comes with the Spirit, but will actually give us the Spirit. Now stop and consider just for a moment how the Son of God had made his entrance into this world. Was the Holy Spirit with him? Was he? Well, clearly, as the Son of God entered into this world being born in Bethlehem, remember, the virgin shall be with a son... And you shall call his name Jesus. So Mary inquires how this thing will happen. And Luke 1, chapter 1 informs us, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Son of God's entrance into this world through virgin conception was a sovereign, supernatural work of the Holy Spirit of God. It's also... Awesome to consider the sequence of events in the ministry and life of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
what happens next in his life. Where it is pinpointed for us in the scripture. You have his baptism. Was the Spirit of God with him at his baptism? Well, John the Baptist thinks that it's not a good idea in his own opinion to baptize Jesus. He thinks, you ought to be baptizing me. But Jesus said, so that righteousness is fulfilled. John actually acquiesces, takes Jesus down to the water. He immerses him in the water. But what happens when he comes up? A voice from heaven declares, this is Christ, my beloved Son. And the Holy Spirit of God descends upon him in the form of a dove. In the very next event called the temptation of Christ, the Bible says Jesus, being full of the Holy Spirit of God, was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit of God. And in Luke chapter 4, this is what it says when Jesus picks up the scroll. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Y'all ever heard that before? Isaiah 11, right? And after this, he rolls up that scroll, gives it back to the attendant, and Jesus says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And everybody said, like we did earlier, hallelujah. Did they? No, they didn't. They got ticked. Because they knew what Jesus was saying. Fulfillment of the Old Testament, right? The Messiah, the anointed one, in essence, claiming to be God himself. So, Turn with me to Acts chapter 10 verse 38. We are looking in on the fact that the Spirit of God came with Christ. And he actually gives the Spirit. Chapter 10 of the book of Acts. Peter's going to give a summarization of the life and work of Christ. In chapter 10 verse 38 as he's preaching in the home of Cornelius or just after. He's going to summarize his earthly ministry. And listen to what he says in 1038. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. So, Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit with power to go about doing good which God had sent him to do. That's a pretty good summarization, isn't it? Of what the Lord Jesus Christ did. Again, Sinclair Ferguson says, In the coming of Jesus, the day of the Spirit had finally dawned. So we can confidently say in the old and the new that the Holy Spirit of promise came with Jesus Christ. And not only that, according to the testimony of the Bible, the Spirit of God was also given to us by Christ. Right? What did John the Baptist say? I baptize with water. But the one coming after me that was before me, will actually baptize with, right? What is it? He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now look, that's important because to be baptized with the Holy Spirit means you're saved. To receive judgment means you're lost. Fire. That's what the word means. So, this is John's testimony. So, what we hear from, the, from John the Baptist is that Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit of God. Not only does he come, the Spirit come with him and superintend his ministry, but it is Jesus Christ himself who will actually give the Holy Spirit. Let's see what Jesus had to say about that himself. John chapter 14 through chapter 16. Don't get afraid. I'm not going to read it all. Right? But if you're a student of the Word, you know that the largest section of teaching on the Holy Spirit of God is found in John chapter 14 through John 
16. Let's just pick out part and parcel to hear what Jesus has to say. John 14, 16. The Bible says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Chapter, excuse me, chapter 14, once again, let your eyes flow down to verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Chapter 15, verse 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father... The Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. All right, chapter 16, verse 7, the clearest verse on the giving of the Spirit by Christ. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The Holy Spirit of God is with Christ, and he gives it to his people. Folks, have you ever stopped to think about the advantageous position that you sit in today in 2021? Do you know that Hebrews 11 says that those who endured in their faith did so having not received the promise? And you have received the promise. You look back at Calvary. You know what Jesus accomplished. You know full well that you live in the Messianic age. And the Lord of glory is exalted in heaven where he has ascended. And he has given us his Holy Spirit. Don't take that for granted. So do I have to remind you again that that phrase, the promise of the Holy Spirit, is theologically loaded? You better say, yes, I get it. Because if you don't, I'm going back to Numbers 11. You're right. You get it. It's theologically loaded. Now, I want to remind you of one more thing regarding that term promise. Is it true that he's the promised Holy Spirit? You better believe it. Straight from the Old Testament. Let's not negate that. But what does the promise of the Spirit actually mean when God puts him into your life? In other words, it affects the way you think. It affects the way you feel. Feel is not a bad thing in an emotive sense when you ground it in the Word of God. In other words, you feel a sense of hope for the future when God lives in you. Well, is that not the answer for the COVID days? Did you know a hopeless Christian is a contradiction of terms? If you stay in hopelessness, you need to check out your relationship with God because the very spirit of promise lives in you. And when he does, he gives you a hope. He gives you confidence in life. So... Is it not the Spirit that is the promise of good things to come? Yes, He is. So, He indwells us. He gives us the spirit of adoption. He points us to the very promises of God. He reminds you of a future and a hope that you have in the Lord. If that's not enough, He actually corrects your prayers when you don't know what to pray. With groanings that cannot be uttered. And furthermore, the Son of God is at the right hand of the Father, ever interceding for those who belong to Him. So, even when you don't know what to say, it is the Holy Spirit of God that breathes in us the hope of glory. That we belong to the Lord. So, are you ready for the application? By the way, that was all introduction. Some of you are really nervous. Last time I checked, Kansas City plays the late game today. All right? 
No, it won't take long. All right, first implication. Every believer is indwelt by the Holy Spirit of promise. Every believer is indwelt by the Holy Spirit of promise. There's a lot of bad, stinky, you know, stinking thinking lives to stinking living. Right? And there's a lot of bad theology floating around out there on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Yet the Bible is very clear that if you are a believer and you've believed, heard, and believed the gospel, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Just as a hopeless Christian is a contradiction of terms, so is a spiritless Christian. That is a contradiction in terms. And I get it that in various denominations they teach something called a second work of grace or a second blessing. I just think they finally figured out what they already had in them. There's no way around that. Why? Because the Bible teaches us expressly about the Holy Spirit in regard to who you, who you are and who you belong to in Romans chapter 8 verse 9. Listen to the word. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have my Spirit, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, does not belong to Him. There's no middle ground. If you're a Christian, you have the Spirit of God. If you do not have the Spirit of God, you do not belong to God. Period. Okay? That's the teaching of the Bible. So the Lord Jesus Christ gave us the Holy Spirit of promise at your new birth. Having heard, having believed, sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. I'm so thankful that Christ kept his promise. Not only to his disciples who were waiting for the promise, but we don't wait anymore. When you trust Christ, he is given to you immediately at the time of salvation. Praise God for that. Now, that was easy, right? Every believer is indwelt. All right, second one. You don't have this in your notes, so you've got to write it down. Got your pen? The Holy Spirit of God has a role, and that role is to mediate among the people of God His presence, His word, and His redeeming activity. Y'all need to hear that again? Some of you had the calf looking at a new gate look. Y'all have had that the whole time I've been preaching on this. But I just need to remind you of that. So, it is the Holy Spirit of God's role to mediate the presence and word and redeeming activity of the Lord Jesus Christ. J.I. Packer was the first to state this in that way. He says, the Holy Spirit's task is essentially that of, the mediate, of mediating the presence, the word, and the activity, and he adds this, of the enthroned Christ. I want to ask you all a question. Where is Jesus today? We don't think about that. Our theology is not good. But he is enthroned in glory. In body. Seated at the right hand of his father. So all of the activity of the king in this world is mediated through his Holy Spirit. Y'all think it's important that we look at him not with foggy glasses? So, think about how important this is for us. Let me show you a verse of scripture that highlights it. John chapter 16 verse 14. Here's the Holy Spirit's work. Awesome verse of scripture. You need to see this one. John 16, 14. Here we go. He will glorify me. Who's talking? Jesus Christ. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Oh. 
Is this good? Have you ever gone to see a statue, a monument, someplace, and maybe it was dark and you're going to see this, and all of a sudden they turn on a floodlight or a spotlight. It puts the spotlight on the figure that you're going to see. Anybody been there and done that kind of thing? I mean, that's what a floodlight's for. Well, I want to remind you that the Holy Spirit of God is a spotlight. He's a spotlight and a revealer. And what is he spotlight? He points you to the king. His goal is to glorify Jesus. How many of you ever gone to one of those things and said, man, what a marvelous spotlight? That's a beautiful floodlight. As a matter of fact, I need to buy one just like that and stick it in the middle of my yard for no apparent reason. Right? No, folks. It points us to Jesus. And that is the role and task of the Holy Spirit of God. He is a spotlight. He never brings attention to himself. He never wants to be center stage. His goal is to magnify the exalted Christ in glory. Amen. I got one. That keeps me going, right? He takes all of that energy of divine power and he casts a floodlight on the exalted, resurrected, ascended Lord of glory. That's what he does. Since that is his goal, we need to think about how much is amiss in people that call places churches today. If the goal is to magnify and exalt the exalted Christ, what, do we, what can we say about many, many churches in the world? It seems that healing, uh, prayer cloths, the list goes on. Blab it and grab it, sneeze it and seize it, right, kind of thing that goes on in this world. Is that exalting the king on the throne? No, I don't think so. So this needs to be a filter for what we're doing, right? He takes his energy and he spotlights Jesus. Notice this. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. Do you understand that it is the very presence of the Holy Spirit or himself that mediates the very presence of Jesus in this body when we come to church? It is the Holy Spirit that is mediating the presence of Christ. Now we know Jesus is omnipresent, right? But that's not the point. The point is, when it comes to him working in and through his church and manifesting his presence in this body, he does it through his Holy Spirit. That's what he does. He mediates it. And what does he want to do? He wants to lift up Jesus as prophet, priest, and king. He is. That's his mediating work. So the Holy Spirit of God came with Christ, poured out by Christ, And is the great mediator and the revealer of the word as well as his presence. So, think about this for a moment. He reveals the word, not just the presence, but the word of Christ. What does that mean? It means as God's word is preached in the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit turns around and points us to Christ through the word and reveals the word to us. It is the very Spirit of God that gives to man... In a natural state, the illumination of the Word. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It is the Spirit who comes and gives the Word its supernatural effect. And here's the wonderful thing as you stand and preach the Word of God in the Spirit of God. There's no way I can know what's going on in your life when you walked into this building. For some of you, I may know because you've come to me and said, Pastor, this is going on. And you know, that if, you're, if you've got a pastor's heart and you're a shepherd, that sticks into your mind. Believe it or not... It floods our minds at times as ministers of the gospel. But here's the deal. If I tried to figure out every point to touch in what's going on in your life, 
I'd end up in a straitjacket. And they would actually come in in white suits and take me away. There's no way possible that I could preach a sermon that's going to touch every possible need. But I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit of God knows. And it's only the Word of God that can affect change. As a matter of fact, the Word not accompanied by the Spirit is not going to affect change. It's only the Word, folks. Are y'all listening to me? Y'all getting this? This means yes. This means no. Are you getting it? There's no question about this. It is the superintending work of the Holy Spirit of God that mediates the Word of God so that your mind and heart are illuminated so that you can hear and receive God's Word. That's exactly what his role is. What did Jesus say? He's going to reveal to you what's from me. The Holy Spirit does this. Despite my great ignorance. Because I don't know. I'm ignorant of your needs. I'm ignorant of the... It very well could be that somebody in this room needs Jesus as Savior. I don't know who you are, but the Holy Spirit of God knows. And the Word of God, superintended by the Spirit of God, can make a dead man alive. We'll see that in just a couple seconds. But God's Word is preached with the Holy Spirit of promise. His living Word to each of us. It's well been said that your task is to pray your pastor full so that he will preach you fool. Well, I want to remind you that the fact of the matter is I can preach you full only under the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit of God who takes that word and fills us with it. Here's one final task of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit who came with Christ is poured out by Christ is also the great mediator of the redeeming work of Christ. In other words, no one is ever redeemed apart from the Holy Spirit. So, presence, word, Redemption. So, is this a significant task of the Holy Spirit? No one comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws him. Folks, I think that's pretty significant, right? No one. There is no redeeming work apart from the activity of the Holy Spirit of God led by the redeeming will of God, right? Which the Holy Spirit is. So think about this. The Spirit of God takes the Word of God, illuminates the heart and mind of a dead sinner. And here is a person, perhaps, that maybe entered this church today and you're a God-hater. Jesus is the furthest thing from your thoughts that we could ever imagine. You have no interest in God whatsoever. You want nothing to do with the Lord, nothing to do with religion. By the way, we're not preaching religion, we're preaching relationship. Religion will get you a one-way ticket to hell. Religion is man seeking after God. We're talking about God seeking after man. There's a major, major difference. So, you think, if I show up once to church today, I woke Jackson up, didn't I? If, if I show up once to church today, maybe this person will stop bugging me. And that's your thoughts, right? Just need to come one time. Mama smacked me in the head this morning, woke me up, and told me to come to church. I have no interest in the things of God, no interest in church. Then all of a sudden, The Word of God is preached. And just like a sharpened arrow under the sovereign superintention of the Most High God, the arrow of the Word of God and the power of the Spirit is shot into the heart of man and God takes a dead sinner and regenerates him. Woo! You know what I call that? A miracle. It's a greater miracle than the parting of the Red Sea. It's a greater miracle than Elijah's axe head floating. It is a greater miracle... And Peter getting out and walking on water is taking a dead 
sinner who is alienated from the life of God, at enmity with God, really were God-haters without Christ. But then the Word of God is preached, superintended by the sovereign Holy Spirit of God, and God awakens. You're going to see this in chapter 2. But we were dead in trespasses and sin. But God, who was rich in mercy, made us alive. Folks, can't you see there's no salvation if you're not made alive? And it's the work of the Holy Spirit of God that does this. Wow. Makes us alive, baptizes us, places us in the body of believers. And I want to remind you something. That's not the end of the story. He has a work he's continuing to do through the Word and the Spirit to conform you to the image of Christ. And I'm going to tell you something. It hurts sometimes, doesn't it? When the Holy Spirit of God puts his finger on one of those areas that you know is not aligned with his Lordship, we're like, whoa, don't touch that one, right? Hurts sometimes. Sometimes there's so much joy and obedience, I just can't, I have to pinch myself, right? But that's not always the case. But the Holy Spirit of God is committed to conforming you to the image of his dear son. He's not committed to your happiness. He's committed to your holiness. And God will do whatever it takes. So, this is the Spirit and role. This is the Spirit's role and His task. And if the Holy Spirit of God doesn't superintend the Word of God, nothing will happen. Nothing will happen. So the Lord and the giver of life who proceeds from the Father and the Son, He's the promised one. What I just quoted to you was the Nicene Creed. We believe in the Holy Spirit of God, the Lord and giver of life who proceeds from the Father and the Son. Now Paul is praising God for his blessings. And one of those huge blessings is the divine third person of the Trinity. Should we not praise God for him? Praise the Lord. God is in our midst through the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And he has a role. He wants to put the floodlight and the spotlight on the exalted Lord Jesus Christ. Why? So that we, the redeemed, might bring him glory. Amen. Now next week, we're going to tackle those two big things of the sealing and the pledge or guarantee of our inheritance. I hope you come back for that one. I'm looking ahead, studying ahead. Whether I preach it well or not, that's a remote issue. I'll tell you this, it's good stuff. All right? It's good stuff. So look, maybe when I said that about the Holy Spirit of God and the Word of God, shooting through your heart like an arrow, somebody in here was made alive. Is it possible to be made alive by the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit and for you to walk away and not receive Jesus? Mm. Can you reject Jesus Christ as Lord with eyes wide open, having been made alive? Well, if the Lord gave you understanding of your need for Jesus and you have within you a resolve to say no to your own self-reliance and you say, yes, I'm going to rely all of my hope and faith on Jesus. What does that mean? If I go to heaven, Jesus Christ is going to take me there and if he doesn't, I'll just be damned. Because that's what's going to happen. you got to push all your chips to the center of the table and say, I'm all in on Jesus Christ alone to save me. That's real trust. Have you trusted him? Do you know him? Does the Spirit of God indwell you? If he does, then you belong to Jesus. Hallelujah. Let's pray. God, you're so good to us. Lord, thank you for your exalted Son. 
that is in control of this world, that is mediating all of his redeeming activity, the word, the spirit, everything, Lord, from his throne. And we thank you for the blessed Holy Spirit. The hope, the confidence, the joy that is unspeakable, full of glory. All because of the promised Holy Spirit. We, pray, we praise you for him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Brother David's going to lead us. Here my hope is found. Here on holy ground. Here I bow down. Here I bow down. Here arms open wide. Here you save my life. Here I bow down. Here I bow at the cross. At the cross. I render my life. I'm in all of you. I'm in all of you. Where your love ran red and my sin washed white, I owe to you. I owe to you. At the cross, at the cross, I surrender my life. I'm in all of you. I'm in all of you. Where your love ran red and my sin washed white, I owe to you. I owe to you, Jesus. As we dismiss, I want you to know that this pastor prays, and I don't know who's going to be here under the sound of the word, but every week I pray, God, you have to superintend your word. You have to affect change in people's hearts. I can't do it, but you can. Amen. Amen. We want to end our services. Uh, I don't know how long it's going to take me to get through Ephesians, but for a while, we would love to end our service recognizing that our God is three in one. And just singing the doxology, David jokingly said, in the early service where everybody was pretty much over 60, (laughs) he said, you'll know it. But it's possible that younger people, you just, we don't sing the doxology much anymore. But let's praise our God from whom all blessings flow. And it's through the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. God bless you. Let's sing it together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Have a blessed week.